um, God's call from the Old Testament. And although these stories may really stretch our faith, they demonstrate God's brilliance and covenant power. Pastor Mark let me choose which Bible hero I wanted to speak on today, and I immediately said I want to speak on Joseph the Dreamer. So let's pray and ask God to anoint these simple words. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. I begin this sermon by stopping off in Davenport, Iowa, USA, because I want to share a story with you of another dreamer. I was born and raised where the tall corn grows. My parents were Czech and Sylvia Knapp. Dad was raised a Catholic and served as an older boy, and Mom, she was raised on a farm as a Methodist. Before they got hitched, they pledged to each other that they would share the faith and raise their kids in the same church. And so they compromised. And they became Methodist. <laughs> Some compromise, huh? Somehow my mom won out and my husband says that I learned that art of compromise from my mother. <laughs> my childhood background included going to Sunday school every week and truthfully as a little girl, I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with the scripture I memorized. I fell in love with the liturgy and the praise-filled choruses and anthems of the choirs. Shoot, I was just a kid. But lying in bed at night, I went away, feeling the tangible presence of God visiting me in my bedroom. I didn't yet exactly know what he was wanting, but I knew I was available. And as a teenager, I actually experienced dreams and visions, mostly seeing myself going into Africa as a missionary, to which I quickly responded, Oh, no, Lord, don't ever send me to Africa because I wouldn't have anything in common with those people. And just like my folks, Chet and Sylvia, God and I compromised, and guess who won? I was sent into Africa over 20 times obeying his call. And in those years of obedience, I had some very hard lessons, but very true facts about God's call. When a call, God calls an individual or a group, our first lesson is obedience. God requires obedience. Because in your obedience, you get to enjoy the harvest that will be yours as the seeds you have planted burst into bloom. It's all when we are obedient to him. Obeying God means moving forward, following God's promptings, with the type of determination that would, as the psalmist says, break steel chains from off around your neck. And that childhood call has led me for decades to many venues, many ecumenical cultures, but most importantly, it has led me right here this morning on this platform to Marco Island to link arms and to link my heart with yours so that a beautiful harvest of souls will come forth out of my church. Interestingly, only 62 miles away from my birthplace in Davenport, Iowa, was another city 
little farm city called Dyersville, Iowa, where the great movie Field of Dreams was uh, filmed with Kevin Costner. Anybody see that? You know the famous quotes, if you build it, he will come. What about go the distance, ease his pain? Wow, all great sermon topics like a preacher on all of those, but not today. Because this morning, folks, our nation is reeling in the conflict and chaos of divided sectors. Did you know that in Dyersville, Iowa, annually they played a softball game between the Iowa Democrats and the Iowa Republicans right there on the field of dreams. I think it sounds like an awesome way to uh, settle any crazy disputes we're having in Washington, perhaps uh, at first base calls or, you know, saying you're out and you're in. I have no idea how the game would be played, but all I know is I want to go to the picnic and drink a cold lemonade and eat a hot dog when it was all over. Maybe a new approach would be better. I took you on this little trip to Iowa to reference the field of dreams. Because within our scripture today, Joseph's calling began with a dream. But instead of the field of dreams, his was the dream of fields. Not just dreams did God give him, but God gave you the gift to interpret those dreams so skillfully that the power of the Holy Spirit would be present when he would give the interpretation. The gift was so strong upon Joseph that his brothers actually nicknamed him and they called him the dreamer. Joseph's story begins in the fertile crescent of the Middle East. Modern-day Palestine, Syria, Israel, and Egypt. The account, is, the account is recorded in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Joseph was a daddy's boy. His father's favorite son, the firstborn of the union between the nomad Jacob and his beautiful wife, Rachel, who became his beloved. Jacob was wealthy. And he declared Joseph, Joseph, I'm sorry, and he declared Joseph to be the heir over all of his wealth. He gifted him with a coat. Do you remember what it was called? The coat of many colors. And it identified him as the recipient of the family birthright and the blessing. Oh my, I bet that went over really well with the 11 other brothers. What do you think? Well, Joseph started having dreams, and he began reporting them to his family. Not so sure that was really smart, but his night visions became so powerful that he told his first dream to his family. And in the dream, it included his 11 brothers surrounding him in a wheat field, bundled as sheaves of wheat surrounding him, and they were all bowing down to him. And even the next dream was more magnificent because in that dream, the sun, moon, and the stars were all around Joseph, bowing down. Perhaps that was the day that the old adage was born, jealousy breeds contempt. Hatred, lust, envy, when conceived, produces sin. 
And when it's finished, it brings forth death. And seething, Joseph's brothers began to plot. For a perfect time when they would trap Joseph and remove him from their lives. One day away from home and from his daddy's protection, he was sent out to his brothers to take provisions. And his brothers grabbed him and ripped off the beautiful coat of many colors and they threw Joseph into a pit. A traveling car caravan of Ishmaelites were traveling by and they were carrying slaves and money signs jumped into his brother's eyes and they said, I sell Joseph, make some money and send him off to where we will never see him again. And the caravan took him into Egypt where he was sold to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. There's an old song, what a difference a day makes. Custom made for a daydreaming boy. Well, it was a huge change. Joseph, the faded one, was not sold into Egypt. From a spoiled son to a servant slave in Potiphar's house. And with that initiation, Joseph entered what is called, and you may know, as a school of hard knocks. It even gets worse. He was once again betrayed, accused of something he didn't do, and the life-jarring lessons continued as they threw Joseph down into a prison, powerless, rejected, and alone. Was God good even when Joseph was enduring tests? Just ask yourself, was God good even when Joseph endured tests? Was God good in the midst of false accusations and blame? Had God forgotten his promises? All those dreams he had given them. Him, those dreams and visions. And stripped of his coat of many colors, would God possibly pick up the shuttle laying next to the loom of Joseph's heart and begin reweaving the very fabric of Joseph's life? of Joseph's call into another coat of beautiful colors. Well, Genesis does not exactly record many words Joseph spoke during that time, but in the words that are recorded, Joseph confesses his great belief in God. He acknowledges his faith boldly, even to the Pharaoh of Egypt. We can see Joseph's heart for God demonstrate when he's brought before the Pharaoh of all Egypt. Joseph had now been in prison for two years. And I don't know if you ever get comfortable enough being in prison that you sleep well. But over in the palace that night, Pharaoh was frantic. He was not sleeping well. The ruler of all Egypt was waking up with very disturbing dreams. First, he dreamt of seven sleek, fat cows coming up out of the Nile. Go ahead, think about a Chick-fil-A cow for a minute. <laughs> but these seven fat, sleek cows were suddenly consumed by seven ugly, skinny cows that also came out out of the same water. I don't think it was an Egyptian pizza dream. And Pharaoh settles down and goes back to sleep, and soon another dream sends him reeling. Seven healthy, robust stalks of wheat 
dance before his eyes. But immediately seven stops that are dry and worthless consume the seven stops that are robust. And Pharaoh is highly agitated. And he is looking for an answer and quickly calls his think tank his smartest men out that night, including all of his magicians and sorcerers. And he cries out to them, what do these dreams mean? I believe they're a warning to this nation. And the room is silent. For none had an interpretation. No words they brought rang true. But over in a corner of this very room stood a butler, an ex-prison mate of Joseph's, and just a few months before, he had told Joseph his own dream, and Joseph had interpreted it perfectly. Everything came to pass. And sheepishly, the butler waves his hands to everybody, all the people gathered, and he says, I think I know a God, a Hebrew, who can surely interpret these dreams. Our problem is he's locked up down in our prison system. And in the midst of this crazy circus, Joseph the dreamer is pulled out of the prison, and now he stands, washed, shaven, given a fresh coat, and, hand, and is standing in front of the great pharaoh of Egypt. I think that is the day the Yiddish phrase, oi vey, <laughs> Quickly, Pharaoh unburdens his heart, telling two strange dreams, as Joseph intently looks into the eyes of Pharaoh, and all the while, scanning the spirit, asking the Holy One to give him a true interpretation. What a contrast was in that room. Egypt's wisest against Joseph, God's dreamer. Joseph doesn't miss a beat. He opens his mouth and with divine accuracy, Joseph interprets God's or Pharaoh's dreams, declaring, God is telling you this, seven good followed by seven bad. Seven years of abundant harvest and then seven years of drought and famine. And in an agrarian society, this is terrible news. Pharaoh's greatest fear was that a drought would come and his people would starve. And silence filled the room again. It was like E.F. Hutton was about to speak. And Joseph didn't miss a beat. His lips were full of God's wisdom. And as he begins instructing the Pharaoh how to solve the problem, how to oversee good years of abundance, and then get ready for bad years, he knows in his heart, build bigger farms, create a department of agriculture, plan grain distribution. What confidence Joseph had, for he truly believed his childhood dream and they were unfolding right before his eyes. He knew that God had placed him there in that palace for that very moment. And that day, Joseph was promoted to stand in the second 
highest office of all of Egypt, save the Pharaoh. As well, and he started the distribution plan, the people were going to be able to eat in Egypt, but also all of the people of the Mediterranean coast. Those nations would bring their money to Egypt to buy the grain that was stored there. This included Joseph's brothers and his fathers, who had no clue that their betrayed brother, the dreamer, was the very reason for Egypt's wealth. Joseph received his harvest, the double fruit, far beyond birthright and the blessing of a father, as known as a child. Joseph reconciled with his brothers. He comforted his grieving father, who thought he had lost him forever and was able to provide for all of his family in the land of Goshen for years. But the greatest of all that we can read into this scripture is that in saving Joseph's brothers, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah brought forth the royal messianic bloodline and the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that through him all nations would be blessed and eternal life should come through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. A great mentor of both Randy and mine, whose ministry, the Dream Center in Los Angeles, California, encourages pastors from all over the world with these words. Pastor Tommy Barnett instructs his pastors who he trains with this. God is entrusting you with a seed. Your dreams are seeds. And through your obedience and prayer, they will bring forth an abundant crop. Recently, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I entered our local Walmart. I was donned in a mask. I had gloves on. I was ready to roll in and get just a few groceries. And at the entrance of the grocery department, I picked up four ears of corn displayed at the entrance of the lobby. They were fresh. And they smelled just like they'd come off the back of a pickup truck. They were wet with dew even. And you can't fool an old island girl. I know when I see sweet corn. So I grabbed four ears and I put them in my car grabbed a couple other things, and I wheeled up to the self-checkout lane. You ever been there? That's a tough place. So I went to the self-checkout lane, and I scanned the screen for, of the computer looking for the vegetable. But I couldn't find it, or maybe there's a picture of it. So I typed in the words, sweet corn. I'm from Iowa, believe it's sweet. But nothing labeled sweet corn to split it. So I erased it, and I just typed in, and two options popped up on the screen. One was a can of corn, and the other one was labeled fresh corn. When I saw fresh corn, the words caught my heart. And in that moment, I knew that Jesus was speaking to me. He was asking me, Kathy, is your dream and your vision fresh? Are you alive with passion? Knowing the call that has been placed upon you and the congregation of United Church, I kind of crawled out to my car. I was struck in my heart. 
And I climbed in and I locked the door and I, a few tears fell down my face. And I said once again, I am a faithful Lord. For you see, on the surface of Marco Island, it seems like a bubble. People without a care or a need. But if you would come and sit in Pastor Mark's and my office and just pick up the phone and talk for a week, you would know that the exact same human needs that are in the critical cities in the United States are right here on this island. And I'm telling you that the, everyone on this island is waiting for a savior. They're waiting for a fresh supply from a living God. And as we fight this battle of unseen viruses and the recession and financial strain upon so many, the fight against ancient racism, jealousy, hatred, pride, unforgiveness, let's rewrite the vision God's yet called us to. Let our call become the holy remnants on Marco Island who serves the God that will turn what was meant for evil into good. No government can, no Pharaoh can, but the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can and will. So join me in the response I know Jesus wants to hear today. It's your call, God.